Very excited to dive back into Luke. This changes everything. I had to laugh recently. I saw somebody stole our tagline. I chuckled to myself because as you maybe try to guess who else could be using that tagline, this changes everything. But I saw a commercial recently for Starbucks creamer. This changes everything. So in my humble opinion, a little bit of an oversell, maybe it changes your cup of coffee. It surely doesn't change everything. But maybe you've guessed it as well. Maybe you've seen this with COVID-19. I was looking and reading, you know, articles on the internet. And I saw an article, COVID-19, this changes everything. And I want to help us right now. I want to remind us, because maybe you're feeling that. Maybe you're tempted to believe that article, but I promise you that is a lie. This may change a lot of things. There's a bunch of stuff that changes a lot of things, but only one person, one event can lay claim to this tagline of this changes everything. So I'm excited coming off of Easter to dive back into Luke and remind us that it's Jesus that changes everything. His overcoming death in the grave is the only thing that changes everything. And let's look to him now as we turn our attention to the passage of the day. I do got to warn you, it is a longer passage. I'm going to read it all the way through, so be ready for that. But we're going to be in Luke 21, picking it up in verse 5, if you're reading from your Bible at home. And I also got to warn you, this is not an Easter sermon. Uh, it gets a little bit crazy. We're going to be talking about pestilences, persecution, slavery, slaughtering, famine, foreboding. I wish I was lying to you, but I am not. We're actually going to go into a famous passage and are known by some as the Olivet Discourse. So Jesus is going to talk about the end times. And I, I mean, looking at the current circumstances, it probably is appropriate a little bit. Because I think some people love the end times. Some people ignore it. Even if you're one of those people that doesn't think about the end times as much, like giving like the crazy circumstances that we're in, I'm sure a lot of people were kind of wondering a little bit like, is, is Jesus coming back? Like, is this it? You know, and some people, the end timers that just love this, I've already heard of people kind of it like Tommy Boy level ex- of excitement that this is it. You heard me right. I said Tommy Boy level excitement. like the craziness of these times we need a little bit more tommy boy in our life and i love that clip six o'clock we've all been there right so i want to avoid both of these extremes like i don't want to just major on the end times and be one of the people that obsess about it and surely this is the end of the world as we know it and this is it but i also don't want to ignore it i want to address it as much as jesus addresses it and be anchored in what the scripture has to say So let's dive into those scriptures together. Again, we're going to be in Luke 21 if you're following along in your own Bible. If not, it'll be projected on the screen. Let's go pick it up in verse 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, 
how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. He said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, see that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth in wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let, the, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Take a deep breath. I warned you, 
It was a longer passage and a little bit crazier, but let's dive into this passage together. See, one of the big keys to understand this passage is you got to understand the original, the initial context, but also the ultimate fulfillment. Now remember, again, they're talking about Jerusalem and the temple, then it seems to kind of, by the end, shift to Jesus' return. And I want to caution you, particularly when you talk about the end times. We have to be humble about the details. This is difficult to translate. We want to be humble about the details of the time frames, but we want to be dogmatic about the doctrine. Humble about how and when is this going to play out, but dogmatic that Jesus will come again and that there will be a judgment when he returns. We know that for sure, but we got to sift through and interpret kind of when, what does all this entail. So again, helping you kind of sift through that crazy passage is to understand kind of the short-term and then the long-term fulfillment. As I was studying this and looking at different scholars, Daryl Bach had a quote that maybe kind of helps you wrap your head around this that I found helpful. He says, A prophet could speak about the short-term fulfillment or a long-term, or both at the same time in different portions of the same speech since the events mirror each other. I think that's a lot of what is going on in this. It's also covered in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. But that kind of helps you, again, grasp it. I've heard it said this way. It's almost kind of like a binocular kind of view looking at prophecy down the road. I brought my uh, telescope. This is, my wife has been killing it with the uh, quarantine crafts. This is from my kids. But if you think of kind of like a binocular, kind of a telescope view. If you look through a telescope, say, at kind of mountain peaks, you'll kind of see it appear. It's kind of one scene. You see kind of these multiple peaks, right? But now, if you kind of change your perspective, you understand that although that seems through the telescope, through the binoculars, is one scene, there is multiple kind of valleys in between those peaks. That kind of helps me wrap my head around this prophecy about the end times as well. It appears, and it's kind of Jesus tells us, is one scene. And surely, the apostles, the disciples, probably saw the fall of Jerusalem with kind of the end of the world, end time judgment. Now, there's hints in the text that will point out that, man, this, although is told in one speech, that there are valleys of time between the fall of Jerusalem and Jesus' second coming. But again, we have to, we don't want to make both errors here. It had to make sense to them and also apply to us. Remember the context. Jesus and his apostles are looking at the temple, right? That's what they say right out. They're impressed with the temple. Now again, to understand some of their world, it is hard to kind of overestimate how important the temple was to them. See, in Jerusalem, there, it, it, many of the wonders of the world, this blows them out of the water. He talked about the stones. These stones of the temple were 570, not pounds, 570 tons, like 12 by 12 by 45. I mean, this was a massive construction project. It took 82 years. It was on like a Route 8 timeline of construction. It went from B.C. to A.D. for 82 
years. It was unthinkable for them that this thing could be destroyed. And Jesus says, look, that beautiful temple that you see, that is going to be toppled. Now, I want you to know, like a little bit of a history lesson here, as we think of the short term, Jesus' prophecy comes true to a T. It is unbelievably accurate. And I'm not even talking about just what the Bible says. Extra biblical sources. Josephus, not a Christian, a Jewish historian. Others recount what happened here. You can study it for yourself. In AD 70, the Romans come and siege Jerusalem. They lay a siege over Jerusalem. It's one of the ways we know Jesus is who he says he is and that God's word truly is God's word. I mean, Jesus tells the future. And again, it's going to come to pass in the second coming, but it has already come to pass, the initial fulfillment of this. The Romans, like he warns, surrounded the city. We know this. And that's what he says. That is the great sign when you're surrounded. And Jesus encourages them to flee. Now, the Christians at this time actually fled. This is historical. They fled to Pella nearby because that's what Jesus warned them to do. The Jews stayed. And again, Josephus records for us. Do you understand the Holocaust? Wasn't the first Holocaust. The historian Josephus tells us that a million Jews were slaughtered in this time. A hundred thousand of them taken captive. Exactly what Jesus says will come to pass. You see Jesus' divine foreknowledge. So that is kind of the initial context. Exactly what Jesus says is going to come to pass. Comes to pass 40 years from when he speaks it in A.D. 70. But it doesn't just mean, okay, that doesn't make any, you know, it doesn't mean anything. It's not relevant for us. Clearly, as he talks about that. And Luke's packaging actually kind of helps in some way because his, more than the others, kind of has kind of a nice, kind of neater shift. If you look in verse 25, he clearly isn't just talking about the temple anymore. He's talking about the sun and the moon. He's talking about a global scale and let alone the fact This is Jesus returning on the clouds. This is the second coming. So that's where we've got to wrap our heads around both of those. It gets tricky. And here is one caution. You've got to understand the near and the kind of the future fulfillment. But you also notice the question they ask, when is this going to take place? When is this going to happen? But you notice Jesus doesn't answer the question. It's one of the massive cautions we have when we look at the end times is stop trying to guess when. It's just a bad look. When you guess this date and that date passes and it's not the end of the world, you can't roll that back. One of my seminary professors told of a guy during the Gulf War wrote a book and he read the signs and he knew the Gulf War was the end of the world. His book came out the day the war ended. That's a bad look. And you remember when Jesus was talking about false teachers? You know, what were the two signs? They'll say, you know, I'm the Messiah. Hopefully most people avoid that, although others have laid claim to that. And then they will say the time is near. So, man, I would be very careful and hesitant of saying, man, the time is near. That's a sign of the false prophets and teachers. 
And we don't know. Jesus doesn't answer the when. Nobody knew that between the fall of the temple and Jesus' return was such a long valley of time. As much as anything, more than telling us when, Jesus even says, even the Son doesn't know when. If Jesus doesn't know at the time, goodness, I'm not going to figure it out. But he does lay out a sequence of kind of time. Right? There's the Jews, God's people, waiting the Messiah. So we look at kind of the big timeline of what Jesus walks through. There's the Jews waiting the Messiah. Jesus, their Messiah, comes. By and large, they reject him and do not submit to him as their Messiah. And you see in AD 70, like he warns here in Luke 21, they are judged for rejecting Jesus and his vengeance. It talks about this wasn't just Rome. This was the vengeance of the Lord for rejecting Christ. Rejecting Jesus is not meant to be done lightly. The Jews, waiting for the Messiah, they reject him. They reject their Messiah and are judged in AD 70. And then what does it say comes next? The time until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So after that, the fall of the temple, it's kind of the time of the Gentiles. And then at the end of that time, we see Jesus returning. And man, again, this is tough to interpret, but the best we can tell, kind of that's where we're at now, the time of the Gentiles, where we're awaiting Jesus and his reign. That's where we find ourselves now. Interestingly enough, right, and here's where we don't just kind of read the sign of the times and go, okay, this is the end. Another great quote from a theologian helped me wrap my head around it, and I want to read that to you now. Chaos is not a sign of the end, but a sign of human fallenness throughout the ages. Did you kind of catch that out of the gate, right? We always think, okay, now as soon as we hear about wars and these great signs, this is the end. I mean, Jesus explicitly covers that in the beginning. This is verse 9. You'll hear of wars and tumults. Do not be terrified, for these things will happen first, but the end will not be at once. See, yes. Now, is it going to get bad right before the end? I think so. But just because there's tumultuous things in wars doesn't mean it's the end. I mean, he says it right there. You know, the end will not be at once. So you look again, that timeline, you know, the time of the Gentiles and the Jews kind of waiting for the Messiah. Jesus says, look, it's all going to be crazy. And then he warns and kind of lets us know that he will come again at the end. Jesus warns, it's always going to be crazy in this fallen world. And man, what are the signs at the very end? I used to be afraid. You know, when he warns about kind of you know, the Antichrist and the false messiahs, you hear about these. And I remember being afraid, you know, what, what if he came back? Would I be able to recognize Jesus? Or would I fall for kind of these false messiahs? And again, remember, Jesus says, the wars, there's going to be chaos all throughout. What was the sign for the Jews when the cities surrounded? It was a singular sign for them at the very end. And for us, we don't have to worry. What is the sign of the second coming? Jesus returning on a cloud. I don't think I'm going to miss that, and I don't think you will either. If you see these prophets claiming and even doing signs and wonders, I don't know, is that him? I don't know. When you see Jesus coming on a cloud, it's like, 
That's him. I think he's the one. So I don't think we're going to miss it. The great sign of his second coming is him returning on the clouds. So let's stop trying to guess and figure out, oh, here's when it is, and pick a date. So do we think, man, we're looking at kind of the coronavirus, this global pandemic. Is this it? Studying this passage, I can give you a clear, I have no idea. So I don't know, people getting excited, this is the end of the world. So I want to say that first, but if this is the beginning of the end, these memes are funny. I don't know if you've seen these. Man, what I always pictured myself wearing at the apocalypse, what actually happened in all of us in our PJs. So those I've enjoyed is kind of, again, we're in these crazy times, and I don't know if Jesus is going to come back in two days or another 2,000 years. Here's what I do know, and here's where I want to spend the rest of our time. As we look at the end times, we don't just need to figure out exactly when is this going to happen. We need to apply it today. One of kind of the books I was reading on this said it very well. When you think of the end times, it is not just informative, it's exhortative. The point isn't just to inform us, hey, by the way, here's how the end of the world's going to go down. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just to inform, it's to exhort our behavior today. Future knowledge should always inform present behavior. So as we read this, I don't want anybody to just kind of kick the can, okay, well, that's the end of the world. Jesus tells us about the future to exhort us today. And as you look at this passage of all the things that are tough to know what is clear, what, what is dead clear is what he wants us to do with this. The exhortations of what to do with this passage. So I want to look at three things that he encouraged us to do with this knowledge of the end times. First, he wants to prepare us. So he looks at the end times, it's clearly a warning to us. Did you catch that in the passage? Verse 34, particularly, look, if you're not right with the Lord, somehow maybe you're watching this, but you know your life isn't right. This is a warning. Look, Jesus is going to come back. Judgment is coming. Are you ready for that? That's a huge part of this. Often when it's talking about the end times, it's talking about the thief in the night. And in this passage, it'll come upon you suddenly like a trap. So it's saying to know that this is coming and to be prepared for it. He talks about that in verse 34. Some people that aren't prepared, that don't hear the, heed the warning, they're off in dissipation, drunkenness, cares of life. What does it say at the beginning of the verse? Look, everybody's out there shaking it fast, but what does he say in verse 34? Watch yourself, right? So be prepared. Be warned, this is coming. Is that you? That the cares of life have distracted you to know what is ultimate reality of Jesus' return. You know, drunkenness, dissipation, that you're living your life however you want. Jesus' return to you would be a shock. Whether he comes to you or you die and go to him, I want you to be prepared. Again, look, judgment isn't trendy, but it is truth. 
It's not trendy to talk about judgment and the vengeance of the Lord, but it is true. Look, when Jesus comes again, it won't be like the first time of doing cool miracles and, you know, pulling money out of fish's mouth. Jesus says, when I come back, he comes with a sword. Judgment will come, the vengeance of the Lord, and you can't just say, oh, that Jesus thing is for you. We see in Jerusalem is a perfect warning what happens when we reject God's Messiah. Are you ready? That's the whole point of this passage. Pray that you could stand before the Son of Man. Are you ready for that? To stand before God Almighty in judgment. And he warns us, it is coming one way or another. If you don't know him, I pray that you are ready for that. For those of us that do know him, let me ask you a simple question. We're called to be ready for Jesus' return. If I could tell you that I knew for a fact Jesus was returning the end of this week, the end of the day, the end of this month, would you act any different if you knew that the end actually was coming? The answer for all of us would be yes. So we need to be moved by this, okay? We should be changed by this. Second Peter, I think, does a great job of helping us wrap our heads around what does it look like for a Christian to be prepared for this and how do we use this time? Let me read another verse to you out of Second Peter 3. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Following their own sinful de- desires, they will say, where is the promise of his, where is the promise of his coming? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, understand this time of the Gentiles, what it's for. I hope everybody, you are prepared to meet Jesus again, whether he comes to us or whether you go to him in death. If you are right with God, if you have asked him to be the Lord of your life and asked for his forgiveness and grace, don't waste this time. The whole point of this time, and again, it felt like Jesus is waiting too long to the fact that I know this is hokey and I love that Jesus says it. He affirms, look, my word in verse 33 will not fail to come to pass. This is true. And it's taken a long time, but the whole point of this wait is for others to be able to come to know him. Because when he comes, he comes with the hammer at his second coming. So the second thing I want us to do with this is he's meant to challenge us. What is this for? To remind us that judgment is coming, that people still have an opportunity to repent. I heard one guy say this well. Through all the wars, all the persecution, the apostles turned prisons into pulpits. Remember, okay, the end is coming, so what do we do with that? We are called to witness. Do you see that in verse 13? This will be your opportunity to bear witness. So what Jesus is spurring us on to do to challenge us is to witness to people, to prepare him for this time. See, while the world is panicking, 
This is an opportunity to tell the world of the hope of Christ, that he's going to set all this straight, that they're not in control of this world, but there is one who is in control, and we can have a relationship with him. So we are not in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of an opportunity. That's what the scripture reminds us, that we are to use this time Look, maybe you are, but settle yourselves. But maybe, I'm sure your neighbors, people are panicking. Use this as an opportunity to tell them about Christ so that they too could come to repentance. This is challenging us. Until that time comes, it is coming to tell people about the one who will come, the one who can save them before he judges them. Finally, what does this do? Thirdly, it encourages us. It is an encouragement to us. I hope you caught that. See, okay, Jesus is coming. Remember, he's saying, look, it's going to be bad for a long time, and I'm waiting. Again, our view of time is different than God's, as we just read. But the reason I'm waiting is so that some people can come to know me. But as you sit in the pain and the difficulty, As you struggle through life, Jesus is reminding us, look, it will not be forever. I love the verse 28 and the encouragement to us. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Listen to this. Because your redemption is drawing near. I know it feels difficult, but Jesus is saying, look, I know it's bad, but I will come. Redemption is drawing near. There's a perfect picture from Lord of the Rings, and I kind of want to give you this clip as we wrap up our time. What should we do with this knowledge of Jesus' return? Watch this clip. Ride out with me. Ride out and meet the fifth. For death and glory. For Rohan. Sun is rising. Look to my coming at first light on the fifth day. At dawn, look to the east. Yes. Yes. The horn of Helm Hammerhand shall sound in the deep. One last time. Yes! Let this be the hour when we draw swords together. Fell deeds awake. Now for wrath, now for ruin, and the red gourd! clip and i love that movie i wish i could play the whole thing but did you see kind of on the king's face how his entire gaze his whole posture changed that's exactly what the coming of christ is to do to us remember when he looked at the window he remembered the prophecy that gandalf is going to return and what does it tell us 
straighten up, raise your heads. That's an encouragement. It is call to give us hope. And I want to give you hope right now that you would, like those kings, charge. No matter how difficult it feels, no matter how dark it feels, if you know that movie, that is, it feels hopeless at that time. But they remember that their Savior for them, that Gandalf is going to return. And that is the encouragement they need to keep fighting. It says to pray for strength that you will endure. Listen to me, don't give up. Keep fighting. Pray that you will endure. Jesus is going to come. It says his kingdom is near. Your redemption is near. Your deliverance is near. Don't give up. He's going to come and take away all pain, all viruses, all things that cause from sin that cause us pain. Do you know that this entire Bible comes with a prayer for that? The scripture closes with, Come, Lord Jesus. And I wish I could play for you the clip when Gandalf appears and you see the king just cry out, Gandalf, that moment is coming for you. Where in the midst of your tiredness, Jesus is going to show up and you're finally going to say, Jesus. And he's going to make all things right. That day is coming. Give yourselves courage with that. I hope you're ready for that day. That you're telling people about that day and you find courage in that, that we would all pray, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray that together now. Father, we look for that day that you would return, that you would send your son to set all things right, to make all things new. God, I pray that we would all endure and continue to fight for you until that day. And we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.